I know what you're thinking. I'm not Pastor Keith. Unfortunately, Pastor Keith is not feeling well. So uh, the elders called an, aud called an audible. I'm the audible in some regards. So we shifted some things around. And uh, what we're going to do this morning is we've got the teaching and the Lord's Supper message. So what we've done sometimes in the past is we've taken the meditation message of the Lord's Supper and roll it into a larger, longer meditation message. So that's the plan as of Friday afternoon or so. We're going to be in Colossians 1 this morning. Before we start, I'd like to pray, and I'm going to add something to the prayer because Gary brought up a good point. we got some youth and kids and things like that going off to school or starting school back up or however. So I'm going to also include them in prayer. Um, but going to school in public school, uh, especially college, need all the prayer you can get and for any of those going off. So let's, let's open in prayer and uh, then we'll get started. Father, we do thank you that you bring us here together to worship you and to hear your word. And Lord, uh, we lift up to you all the students, whether it be homeschooled, uh, going off to college, high school, whatever. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified. Lord, that you would put a hedge around their hearts and their minds. Lord, uh, help them to be diligent in their studies, to show themselves as a work, worker approved. Lord, let it be their testimony, their hard work of your work in their lives. And Lord, I just pray that uh, the word that you have for us this morning as part of the Lord's Supper, Lord, would be with us throughout the week and strengthen us and encourage us in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to be in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And so I'm going to read that and then I'll give you the backdrop of how I got here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So last weekend, I think it was last weekend, Jessica Mai and I attended a wedding last Saturday. Beautiful wedding, full of some traditional symbolistic activities. You know, they do the fire and they, you know, both light the candle, all those things. Wonderful singing and a typical little flower girl who didn't quite want to throw out the flower petals and was quite antsy during the ceremony. Admittedly, Mai and I struggled at times understanding what the priest was saying due to some periodic technical challenges and I'm not sure he was a native Spanish speaker. Yep, was all in Spanish. 
So that can be a challenge for me at times to understand, especially if there's some technical terms in there. I did get quite uncomfortable during the ceremony, though, fueled by the fact I couldn't understand everything the priest said. And note, I've said priest twice. Yes, it was a Catholic wedding. I was uncomfortable during the ceremony when the bride and groom walked over underneath a statue of Mary, which was positioned on the wall opposite the statue of Christ on the cross. Although Jesus Christ was mentioned during the ceremony, Mary was still a prominent part. Although uncomfortable, I was mostly saddened by the apparent worship of Mary during the ceremony. But I really started to squirm in my seat when I realized communion was involved. Admittedly, although I have studied to some degree Catholic doctrine and liturgy in college, I am by no means well enough versed to understand everything that was coming. And couple that with the fact that I didn't understand everything the priest was saying, and with the fact that I do know what I believe about the Lord's Supper. So my head was running some of the worst-case scenarios. For you other introverted people that sit there and constantly analyze things, that's where I was. I was thinking to myself, good grief, they're going to walk around and pass out communion. And I'm going to disrupt this wedding by refusing. Because I wasn't going to take it. I didn't know. I didn't know how it worked. Come to find out, though, it appeared, appeared to be just the family coming up. Although I'm still not sure to this day exactly what he said, that's what actually resulted. Ironically, partly because I'm teaching through it on Sundays, this what was, was rolling around in my mind. No lie, this is where I was sitting during this wedding, beautiful thing. This is what I'm thinking. Think back, because I'm also teaching through the confession on Sundays. And I've studied it before. So this comes from chapter 27 in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Section 2, I believe, although I didn't write it down here. In the Lord's Supper, Christ is not offered up to his Father and no real sacrifice is made to forgive sin of anyone living or dead. Rather, it is only a memorial of the one offering Christ made of himself on the cross. Once for all. It is also a spiritual offering of the highest possible praise to God for that sacrifice. Therefore, the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is utterly abominable, abominable and takes away from Christ's own sacrifice, which is the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. The chapter is much longer. It's quite, I think there's seven sections in that chapter. And I don't have it memorized, but you know the one word I did have memorized? Abominable. That's not a word you forget. And I know for sure anything that detracts from the importance of Christ's sacrifice, who he is, and the place he should take in our hearts and lives, whether it be worship of bread and wine, whether it be the Virgin Mary or any idols we have in our lives above Christ, to us it is sin. So as we elders called an audible for this morning, 
because of Pastor Keith not feeling better, should have prayed for him too. We are combining the Lord's Supper message this morning with the teaching. It will be an abbreviated teaching, and so I'm not going to dig exceptionally deep into Colossians 1, 15 to 20, because that could be a three-part sermon in and of itself. So, we're going to take a high-level walk through Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Again, not exceptionally a deep dive. And in the end, because we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and this is in part the meditation message, there will be one primary point at the end that I want us to walk away with today. For starters, Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, to thwart false teachings that Paul became aware of. Although not specifically called out, and there is some historical debate on whether it was Gnosticism, etc., a lot of folks, a lot of commentators lean toward the false teachings of the Judaizers. In either case, we can be confident Paul was addressing false teachings, and we'll leave it at that this morning. That could be a whole part of a sermon. Colossians 2 16 to 18 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Sounds like the Judaizers there, right? These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism in worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Definitely a reference to a false teacher. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Colossians were presented with the idea from these false teachers that other things held a level of importance that was not acceptable in their teachings and their worship. Be it Jewish laws against food, worshiping angels, or going on into details about visions, or the Virgin Mary, or the Catholic sacrament of communion where the priest holds it up and it actually becomes the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Whatever it be, this is not part of the gospel. So Paul begins this section with, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Christ was to be understood as the image of God, all such things as his power, his goodness, his wisdom are now visible to us in Jesus Christ. John Calvin states of this, let us note that the word image is not used of his essence, but has a reference to us. For Christ is the image of God because he makes God in a manner visible to us. The sum is that God in himself, that is in his naked majesty, is invisible, and that not only to the physical eyes, but also human understanding, and that he is revealed to us in Christ alone, where we may behold him as a mirror. 
What could be of greater value in our worship than to look upon the very image of him in Jesus Christ alone? As I said, the Catholic communion belief teaches that the elements of communion at the prompting of the priest, and he did it too. And I do know enough about their doctrine. And he was holding it up like this. And the prompting of the priest that the sacraments turn into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Trans-tribulation. Yeah, that word. Yeah, thank you. That's a big word. I didn't write it down just because I knew I would come across it and stumble. So I didn't write it down. And so Paul, think of this, Paul would have none of that as he would have nothing else taking precedent over equality with Christ in Colossia. He continues stating that Jesus was and is the firstborn of all creation. We mustn't understand this in a physical sense, as if Christ was created or born. But I understand this to correlate to prominence. In the Old Testament, all sons were to receive a portion of the father's possessions, right? But it was the firstborn who received a greater share into whom the father's authority over the family would pass. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If then Jesus Christ is our visible image of the invisible God and all authority on heaven and earth was bestowed upon Jesus what or who else must we follow? Absolutely nothing. And Paul reminds the Colossians of this as he writes to thwart the false teachings that attempted to do just that. It must be Christ alone. For by him all things were created. Going on in Colossians. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. How easy can it be at times to forget when we consider the incarnate Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is greater than that. Paul tells the Colossians that all things created both heaven and earth, visible and invisible, were created by Christ. And yet another reminder that the firstborn who is, has all authority in heaven and earth is the very creator of all such things. There is no throne, dominion, or ruler greater than he who was the agent of their creation. Not only is he the creator, but as MacArthur states, he is the goal of creation. For everything was created by him and for him. That is for his honor and praise. 
Look forward to Colossians 2, verses 8 to 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Skipping to verse 20 to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Colossians were being led astray to hold and esteem such false teachings as would cause them to follow traditions and regulations and elemental spirits of the world a teaching that devalued the greatness of their very Messiah and the one and only they were to follow. It must not be so. And all such false teachings were and are an abomination. It must be in Christ alone we look to. No angels, no elemental spirits of the world, or anything should be placed above Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. To be the creator of all things and in heaven and earth, he most certainly existed before them. Yes, we know that Christ is the son of the eternal Godhead, but to be before all things mean he must be placed in his of infinitely greater worth in nature, power, and works than the things of these false teachings. It is not the angels or the products of the visions that hold all things together. Remember when I said earlier, it's easy to think Jesus is not as great as he is. He holds things together. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is a pretty big God. A reminder for us this morning, as it was a reminder for the Colossians, that it is Christ we're to follow. The Father's final revelation is the Son, Jesus Christ. There can be no other traditions, visions, teachings, outside of the scriptures of the revealed Son 
that we must be following. It must be in Christ alone. And to further the point, there can be no other head of the church. No one may come along and teach anything that is outside of the canon of Scripture that we have, for there is no greater authority in the church, and certainly not the Pope, that can add one jot or tittle to it. Then why do we fall for false teachers? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is creator and sustainer of all things and appointed the head of the church, the body of Christ. The first and only two, by his own power, raise himself from the dead. Clark states of this firstborn from the dead, Jesus Christ is not the only, excuse me, Jesus Christ is not only the first who rose from the dead to die no more, but he is the first fruits of human beings. For as surely as the first fruits were an indication and pledge of the harvest, so surely was the resurrection of Christ the proof that all mankind should have a resurrection from the dead in Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 to 23, if you'd like to turn there. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, not in false teachings, traditions, elemental spirits of the world. It is spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There must be no other things to which we hold fast to our salvation for. He must be preeminent in worth and value. For it pleased the Father from eternity that Christ and Christ alone 
should purchase his people. It pleased the Father that his fullness was pleased to dwell. But note verse 20 continues with an and. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here we can see the Father's plan of redemption is not only did it please the Father that his full glory should dwell in Christ, but it pleased him to reconcile all things through Christ. That was his plan. MacArthur states, Jesus will ultimately quell all rebellion against God and his purposes. For believers, this means present reconciliation to God and a future hope of glory. As for non-believers and the demonic powers, Christ's universal reign of peace will be enforced upon them. For their rebellion will be decisively defeated by Christ as conquering king so that they can no longer do any harm in the universe. There is no other. He is preeminent over all. It is Christ alone. And it is Christ alone making peace by the blood of his cross. For those of us this morning who will celebrate the Lord's Supper, celebrate, we praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for his death on the cross. He purchased our redemption by taking upon himself on the cross the punishment for our sins, making peace by the blood of the cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There can be no other foundation. And albeit and not a deep dive in these verses this morning, I ask you to walk away from here today with the primary point of these verses, and that is in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We come to the Lord's Supper, and I would like to say for those visiting, um, you do not need a member to be a member to participate. Uh, as long as you're a baptized, born-again believer, um, feel free to participate. But as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, I would ask that you consider anything 
in your heart that you've put above Christ at any point? Is there anything else that you depend upon outside of Christ alone? He's our creator and our sustainer. And he is all that we need. And he is all that we should trust in with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. Like I said, it was a beautiful wedding, but I struggled internally. I struggled because there were so many lost people sitting there. And the enemy reveling in the fact that they were worshiping Mary. I guarantee it. Let's worship Christ alone. At the right time, Ben and Gabe, can you guys give me a hand, please? We're going to spend a moment in prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that it was your plan from all eternity that you would redeem your people, that you would set all things right again through Jesus Christ. Lord, I would just pray that if there's anything in our hearts that we've placed any kind of importance to, be it traditions, be it things, be it idols, whatever, Lord, that we would repent of it. Lord, give us a heart to trust Christ fully, to trust you fully. Lord, embolden us, enlighten us through the Spirit. And Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, your word says to do this in remembrance of Christ. Let us do this in remembrance of who Christ is, the full glory of the Father. Yet he humbled himself. He humbled himself to death on the cross, Lord, that we would not receive upon ourselves your wrath for our sin, be it the smallest sin or the greatest sin. Lord, it is still rebellion against you. Lord, help set our hearts aright. Encourage us, strengthen us, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.